Welcome to episode 35 of the Woke Antidote. SB here with TB. Or should I call you a, a fella MAGA force that is a domestic terrorist? Would that be the appropriate name for you this week? <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, apparently, according to Joe Biden, if you simply disagree with him, you're, you're a terrorist now. So um, wonderful, wonderful language there from, from President Unity. Yeah, everybody has, has by now seen that picture of him with his fists raised and with the red in the background looking like a total dictator out of a comic book. I mean, whether you want to call it Hitler, whether you want to call it satanic, whatever you want to call it, um, he was that. So, yeah, TB, this this had to be our first story leading off this episode. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's just you have to wonder what his press team was thinking uh, when they, like, set up this backdrop. So... He and, and you know he's he's basically outside of Independence Hall, and it's the it's supposed to be the American flag that's being displayed uh, on on the building, but right behind him is red. So, from an optics perspective, it, it as you said, SB, it looked demagogic. It, it almost looked satanic. Like that picture of him, of course, like that was probably taken at a certain angle. Maybe the colors were adjusted to kind of give it more of an effect. But the point remaining, though, is. It was an optical failure. So, you know, even even for those on the far left who are going to dismiss that and say it's no big deal, at the very least, they can admit that it was a bad look. Uh, and I, I think we saw some of that from um, some more reasonable uh, leftists out there that they they recognize that. But the you know, obviously, that's the most apparent imagery that we saw, and that's what's getting all the buzz. But I think when you look at that picture. And then you tie it into the actual words of his speech. That's what kind of makes it even scarier. So what he effectively did is throughout the speech where he said he went into the speech saying it was going to be a speech about unity and moving the country forward. But what he effectively did is called half the country terrorists and racist and irredeemable people. He, he essentially you know, called a verbal war against against people who disagree with him. He kept saying, you know, MAGA Republicans, they have no place in this country, that they are these evil people who want to who seek out violence instead of unity. Like he was using that type of language. And then, you know, he tried to, to walk it back and say, oh, you know, not all Republicans are this way. It's just the MAGA Republicans. But then in his speech, when he was kind of explaining what the difference is between a, you know, a, a supposedly honorable Republican versus a MAGA Republican, it essentially just sounded like if there were Republicans like a Liz Cheney who did his bidding and, you know, agreed with him, then that's that's a Republican that was worthy of, of respect. But anyone who disagreed with him was a MAGA Republican, was a, was a terrorist. So, like, SB, you and I, like, if we, last, last episode, we spoke about our criticism of his student loan forgiveness plan. So sim- simply for disagreeing with that, that makes us a MAGA Republican. So the, the, the word usage that he used, the backdrop on, uh, of the red uh, uh, and on that building that he was standing in front of, those two combined, just, it, it was just a horrible, horrible moment. I, I, I truly haven't see, you know, seen a, a president speak in this way. You know, obviously, the first reaction is, oh, but Trump, like, he was divisive too, but SB, can you imagine for a second if the, the roles were reversed and it was Trump who was speaking with the red backdrop and, you know, clenching his fists in the air and 
looking like a dictator and you know calling half of the country you know racist and evil and extremists and then terrorists and all that can you just imagine the outcry from the media and from the left like it, this would be nonstop uh so it's just it's an absolute hypocrisy and double standard but for me what what is most troubling to me is that the words he used in that speech it's it's exactly how the left feels about the right and it speaks to what they want you know they they truly want to silence people who who disagree with them and that's why they always get into this game of calling you a racist and a bigot they call they use all these words because they want to put you in they want to make you a, a social pariah they want to make you an outcast so Biden's messaging spoke to that feeling it spoke to if you're not on our side you are you are an evil person that we're declaring war against and and, and don't forget just a couple of days before that he spoke about how if people wanted to you know truly he was talking about the gun control issues you know people truly want to uh you know fight back against the government and all that they'll they're going to need some f1s versus ar-15 so lately he's he's really ratcheting up up the tension here and, and I, I have some theories on on why he's doing that uh which i'll, I'll get into in, in a moment later but um I'll, I'll pass it back to you sbi you know what are your quick thoughts reactions to this yeah well speaking of what you just recently said i mean he is completely hyping up the violence now and the things that he is saying i mean he he's got violence on the mind so i know that his his mind doesn't have much left and it's certainly the, the <laughs> handlers around him and the people that are, are writing this for him. But man, like they have got this guy whipped up into a tizzy and on your Trump point. I loved that because I remember Trump would come out in maybe it was the, the speech in front of Mount Rushmore or maybe it was a uh, Re Republican national committee speech. And he'd have this uplifting speech where it was believe in your dreams and as Americans, we can do anything. And didn't he wanted to create a monument park of great Americans. And he was talking about the greatness of us going to the stars. So Trump would have this incredibly uplifting speech and the, and the CNN headline during and after the darkest speech in American history. I mean, this is what they were going with. So to your point, yeah, if Trump had actually done this exact speech but flipped it around and criticized the Democrats, I mean, I don't even I can't even fathom what the media would would say. They they probably would have the the headline saying that Trump speaks from the depths of hell. I mean, that's kind of what that, that that's how they would have to go because they call his uplifting speeches darker than what Brandon just did the other day. And and now I think, you know, my big takeaway on this and we agree on some some uh, smaller takeaways. But my big one is that I feel as though Biden and again, it's not really Biden. It's the people behind him. They finally came out and said it. They've they've been hinting at the fact that everybody that doesn't agree with them is a bad person. So first, I, I would take this back to the Hillary Clinton deplorable comment. Right. She thought she was going to win. All these Trump haters, they're deplorables. You could put them in a basket or all these Trump fans, put them in a basket and I'm going to win and I'll be the president for everybody, but not those deplorables because they're a tiny percentage, whatever. And then they kind of like started ramping up, calling people racist. Then I felt like January 6th, them putting uh, people that stepped on the Capitol and didn't do anything 
beyond that didn't do anything harmful just were were in with the crowd um they put them in solitary confinement that's led to multiple suicides so they're not putting these people they're basically political prisoners in the united states then they're really ramping up the nazi insults and and white supremacist insults i mean i think back to we talked about it before in the pod tb they're calling hispanics shifting right white nationalist hispanics just unbelievable stuff um they call larry elder black man running for California governor, a white supremacist. So they kind of ramped that up. But I think like this past week was really the time that it was, if you don't agree with us, you are a MAGA Republican domestic terrorists. And essentially combined with the, with him ramping up the violent rhetoric, we're coming for you. That was my takeaway, which is just, it's really like unbelievable. It's sad. It's, I can't believe this is happening in America but it could also serve as a wake-up call. And, and maybe that's the benefit of this is that people need to understand these people are, are doing anything to stay in power. They're going to call you anything. They're probably going to go after you politically. What are these 87,000 IRS agents that need a gun? I mean, all of this is kind of leading to the thought of what's coming next. And before giving it back to you, like I think we both agree on this, we think that this is a big midterm strategy for them where – you know, I, I'm definitely concerned about election integrity and whatnot, but even even let's let's leave in tech election integrity aside, this is a strategy for them to push away um, out of the mind any of their failures on, and we can name so many of them, on Afghanistan, on the economy, on education and COVID, on inflation. There's so much to criticize the Democrats for on the open border where illegals are pouring in and committing crimes. Oh, the uptick in crimes in American cities, a.k.a. shitholes. I mean, there's so much to talk about. But this is coming out and saying that all that doesn't matter. You're either with us or you're a domestic terrorist. So, yeah, those were my two takeaways. And it's just really sad because I hope people don't buy this in terms of the midterm strategy voting. Uh, strategy, but you know, I don't know. Maybe they will. The media can, can spin can spin these things well, and maybe they can. But yeah, this this was certainly a dark day in American history. Yeah, it, it really was, and I I totally agree with a lot of what you said. And on that strategy piece, that's kind of what I was hinting at before, and I'm glad you you touched on that because I, I think that speech and the words that he uses it is part of of this strategy. It's part of the strategy that they're leveraging to try to save themselves for the impending damage they're about to take in the midterm elections because let's just be honest objectively they joe biden has been a a failed president in his almost two years um it's i don't even think that's a stretch of imagination that's not a partisan talking point any measurable he is underperforming and because of you know usually in midterms they become a referendum on the current administration so if the president's doing well the current part, uh, party in charge, they will tend to, to follow suit. And then if they are underperforming, then they will take the brunt as well, because fair or not, people will associate candidates running for, you know, the senatorial, the government, uh, the gubernatorial, congressional races. They will associate that with the, the president in charge, that they're going to be, you know, serving their agenda. So they will benefit or, or uh, you know, struggle uh based on the president's performance. So this is all part of the strategy. So what I think is, you know, you know, it's going to sound a little conspiratorial, but 
I, sadly, the more Joe Biden speaks and uses this type of language, I think it's it's sadly becoming more of a reality. And, and, I, and I wish that I'm wrong about this. I hope I'm wrong about this, but I'm increasingly more convinced of it. But think about it. Ever since January 6th, the Democrats keep bringing that up. And let, let's think about why that is. They they January 6th was such a visible demonstration of everything that they have accused Republicans of being this party of hate, this extremist alt-right group. January 6th, like perfectly captured that for them. And I that that's kind of one of my biggest frustrations about January 6th, like beyond just obviously the disrespect to our political system and uh, and the Capitol. But it gave it gave major ammunition to the Democrat Party because now they can point to that and say, you, you see, everything we've been saying about Republicans is true. Look what they did. They tried to overthrow uh, a, a duly elected uh, president. So they, they you know, th- that that's one of my biggest frustrations that, you know, these these idiots even did that. But now with with, you know, bring, you know, in that vein of Joe Biden using very divisive language in that speech. And we're seeing that, you know, getting ratcheted up before. I truly believe he's trying to stoke stoke tensions uh, and, you know, violence in this country. Mm. He's trying to piss off the right so much that there is another another January 6th. Um, he, you know, he's hoping that people people crack and they, you know, he, it foments hate and resentment and they do something. So that way it kind of saves them for it and say, look, they're trying again. And, you know, you really have to vote Democrat. Um, it, I, I can't think of any other, other alternative. And I know it sounds extreme when I say it that way, but it, it's pretty evil stuff if, if this is indeed true. Like, why is it that they're really ratcheting up the, the language so, so much? So you, you, got, you got all that happening. And then, you know, kind of in that vein as well, in, in terms of like their strategy leading up to the election, we then see, you know, just, just further methods that they're leveraging to really try to help themselves. So, one, they're going to call. They're going to demonize you. Call call the other half of the country these these extremists, these terrorists. You need to vote for us to protect them, keep us in charge, because otherwise this, this insane group is going to take over and, and kill you and you know ruin the country. The second piece that they're they're doing is you know just is really gaslighting and you know doing a lot of political intimidation. So we saw that following the the the, the passing of the student loan forgiveness bill the White House Twitter account, which is mm-hmm. supposed to be kind of this very objective, neutral uh, account, they started, you know, really just targeting uh, and doing these revenge posts on Republicans who took PPP loans and had those forgiven uh, and said, oh, the, the point was, oh, what a hypocrite. They're against student loan forgiveness, but they had their own loans forgiven. So to comment on that, PPP loans that was given out to during the beginning of COVID when everyone was losing their jobs and politicians were granted that so that way they could keep their staff employed. Otherwise, they would have been unemployed. So it was their way of saving them from joining the unemployment line and you know having to collect food stamps and welfare to, to support their families. So at the time, it was a bipartisan bill, these PPP loans. Everyone said, yeah, this is absolutely necessary. It makes a lot of sense. Um, so... The White House is now saying, oh, because of that, because you took PPP loans and during a, a, a global crisis, that 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 makes you a, a hypocrite if you're against the student loan forgiveness. So that was very insane stuff to see the White House really targeting political political opponents like that. I don't think we've really seen something like that 
uh, at least in recent memory. So that was pretty wild to see. And then you see gaslighting too from, you know, uh, from uh, Korean Jean Pierre, who is now spinning the, the, the tale that it was actually Republicans that were shutting down <laughs> schools during the pandemic. And uh, it was the, the Democrats who opened it up. But despite the Democrats, uh, despite the Republicans' best efforts to keep things shut down, like it's a complete reimagining of, of history and the facts like we everyone knows for the longest time it was the blue states that were locked down and it was the the crazy you know republican covid hellscapes that were opening back up like do you remember with ron DeSantis? they were calling him death santas because mm-hmm. he didn't he didn't really lock down the country he uh he probably only for like a week or two and then he he won the schools back open they're saying oh you're gonna kill your kids you're gonna kill grandma um in fact he he recently came out with a beautiful campaign uh video where he had all these nice clips showing the media and and democrat politicians criticizing him for opening up schools so it's this revisionist history it's the gaslighting it's demonizing their political opponents um they're leveraging so many strategies here to try to save themselves in the midterms and look like you know in a a hotly contested political campaign of course you're going to do what you can to win and, and you know there's obviously tensions involved but when it comes at the expense of causing a lot of division in the country and fomenting hate and fomenting animosity towards those who disagree with you, I have very little sympathy or respect for that. You, you, it's, it's, you're really kind of, it's Machiavellian. You're, you're taking any means necessary to achieve what you want. And it's at the expense of really tearing this country apart. So it, it, it's really nasty stuff, SB. I, I, I just, I, I, I really like, I'm, truly concerned about what is going to happen over the course of the next six months to a year, because I, I feel like we're just becoming more of a divided country every day. Yeah. And I want to go back to what you said about they, they're trying to foment violence. And yes, you could call us conspiracy theorists. You can probably, we would be known as the MAGA forces. I mean, this is legitimately what, what is being said, but I do think, I agree with that. I think they're trying to foment it. I think it's essentially bait. They're throwing bait out there and there's and they really want MAGA people to run into the streets. And yeah, w- what happens if the Republicans don't win the midterms? Then is there riots in all these in all these cities? Maybe there would be. And then, you know, y- you think about the rioting when Democrats do it versus if there was rioting when Republicans would do it, they would crack down on that faster than they've done anything in ever you know like when when the it's it's similar to when the hispanics were shifting right that border wall is going up really fucking fast um much faster than what trump wanted to do because they're not going to want to lose those votes they would crack down on on right wing and i i think right wing is even the wrong word they would just they would crack down on any rioters and maybe rioters even the wrong word they, they would crack down on people protesting the election if the republicans lost so maybe that's sort of the setup here is that they want to draw people out maybe they they do have a plan to cheat in the midterms and then boom they can say yeah look at these MAGA forces actually in these various cities they're rioting we need to crack down on them and it proves our point like what you said earlier january 6th they're claiming that it proves their point that these MAGA forces are, are out and about and yeah, I you know, and I am like maybe maybe let's get conspiratorial again. You know, who who knows if it is or not? But I think I have every right to be concerned about election integrity. And part of the reason I am is because 
now, you know, like we talked about this right before we went on, you know, both of us are seeing it. We're starting to see these stories that, oh, Republicans might not be doing as well. And, oh, Joe Biden's got a lot of he's racking up a lot of wins. Uh, Democrats are doing better in in these Senate polls and these House polls. I'm seeing ridiculous polls out there that have a guy like J.D. Vance in Ohio losing by 10 points. I don't think that's realistic at all. Um, there is another one I saw that, uh, you know, Nate Silver of the fame of predicting these past elections, you know, there he says that historically politically political parties in power are more likely to lose during midterm elections. Now, Nate Silver is saying, yeah, the Democrats might break that trend this November. So you've got kind of all this stuff going out um, and there's a playbook to it. Um, I saw Chuck Todd doing this. On, on, you know, don't ask me why Chuck Todd came up, but somehow I saw some video of Chuck Todd. I don't know where I saw it, but I saw it. And he basically went through all of these Democrat propaganda points about why uh, they could do much better than currently expected in November. And and one of them, and again, this is a couple of weeks ago, one of them was the Trump-backed candidates may have won the primary because of Trump, but these candidates will lose the general election because of the Trump stench, essentially. And so they've kind of laid it laid out the playbook where this is the they're gonna say that the the people that Trump supported, they won in the, they won with when they were voting, when a lot of MAGA Republicans are voting, but that doesn't represent the full country. They make Trump out to be worse, and then these people are gonna lose the elections. And, and look, to me, like I don't to me, a rhino, if they get into the uh, the power and they win. Like, that's at least as bad, if not worse, than a Democrat going in. Because at least if there's a Democrat, you can and, – and if we know their views and they're not great, we can try to run a, a Republican next time. But if a rhino gets in there, like, what was the spot for? We kind of wasted it. Um, so we shouldn't be having any of these rhinos, especially in deep red states where you are likely to, to win regardless of, of what Republican you are. So I think they're absolutely doing that, and I think that's really – that's so much of so much of what we're seeing from the Democrats recently can be explained by the the risk in the midterm. And then I did want to also throw throw another thing out there. We saw this a couple of weeks ago, so it's not exactly a new story, but I wanted to touch on it because um, the two guys I've really been following for for the for the midterm elections it's it's J D Vance in Ohio for Senate and it's Blake Masters for Senate in Arizona. Two winnable seats for sure with Republicans. Those are Republican to, you know, purplish states. And they're both backed by Peter Thiel, who people would know he he was a huge backer of um, it was Facebook. He he has a, I think it was the pay like the PayPal mafia. He worked with Elon to start PayPal. So this guy is one of the greatest, uh, you know, venture capitalists of all time. He's got plenty of money. He's probably worth billions. Um, for our crowd listening as well, he's very much into Bitcoin, calls himself a Bitcoin maximalist. So, And he's got a lot of interesting ideas. If you listen to this guy speak, um, maybe you don't agree with everything, but he lays out things very, very nicely. And he supported Trump in 2016. He's supporting these two guys that worked for him previously, so he knows them well. He's supporting them in 2022. And yet what, what we see is when Democrats are being funded by VCs, totally fine, totally normal – um, the, the San Francisco, the L.A. scene of getting tons of money at expensive dinners, totally fine. Like all of all the Democrat politicians are getting tons of money from these people. 
the one time that a couple of VCs, it's Peter Thiel and then Keith uh, Rabios, I think might work for Founders Fund, which Peter Thiel um, either owns or is a co-founder of. So they're, they're all kind of together. We have just complete vitriol. So th this was uh, Jerry Kirilova. Lova. I don't I don't know exactly what her deal is, um, but she was just on Twitter, and she was basically saying that the the, uh, the the partners that are hosting a fundraiser for someone for Rick Scott, Mark Rubio, Chuck Grassley, Blake Masters is on here, JD Vance is on here as well. Um, for for uh, those VCs that are funding that fundraiser, um, she goes that. They're putting their weight behind candidates campaigning on eliminating the Department of Education, expanding gun rights, federally banning abortion. Um, I can't tell you what's in these people's minds or hearts, but they're showing you what they're going to do with their money. Are you going to make them richer? And so from the reminder that the investors behind these uh, funds are foundations, pensions, teachers, retirement systems, asset management firms, endowments of the uni universities. So what she's trying to do and what a lot of the comments underneath this was is that if a VC fund is uh, doing a fundraiser for a Republican, you should pull your money from them. And so this goes back to what we talked about earlier in the pod, which is anyone who opposes the liberal orthodoxy, the, the Biden view, they're a MAGA terrorist. And if, if they show that view in public, and especially if they're funding people like that, we're going to rip away everything from you. You're not going to be able to uh, to run your own business because you're funding these people. I just think that's a terrible way to run a country. Like you said, it's incredibly divisive. And if we if this keeps up, it's just so hard for me to see how we're supposed to live with these people. And that sounds so aggressive. And I don't want to say it. And I don't want to say the secession word. But at some point, if they're going to pull this on us where they're claiming that we can't have a different political view than them or we're terrorists, what are we supposed to do? So, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I'm not that positive on what's going to happen in the next six plus months. Yeah. It, it, like I said before, and, and you you perfectly captured it, they're just really, the, the words they're using, whether intentionally or not, it is ratcheting up the tension in the country. Like, that's, the, that's my biggest frustration and criticism of Biden. Like, he campaigned as as Mr. President Unity. You know, he's like, oh, like, you know, I, there's so many screenshots of tweets he sent out, you know, like criticizing Trump for being divisive and said, you know, we need someone who leads all people. I'm going to bring the country back together. But then you listen to the words that he says, and he's literally calling half the country uh, the, these evil, racist and, and terrorists. You know, he he's, he's really doing this you know, horrible things. And like, he sicked his Department of Justice on, for example, on parents who were protesting, you know, inappropriate things being taught in the classroom. Like, this is not uniting stuff. You know, he is using political intimidation. He's using federal agencies to, uh, you know, imprison or intimidate his political opponents. He used the Department of Justice to raid Trump's home, and they're going to be likely pressing charges on him. Like, this is stuff that Again, we it sounds conspiratorial at the time when we use kind of like this this uh, this this language, but you know this is stuff that demagogues do. They imprison their political impo opponents. They they use this type of language. So 
you know, not saying Biden is going to become a dictator. I'm not saying that. Luckily, our country is built in a way that it would make it very difficult for someone like that to happen. But he is certainly straying far from the president of unity that he campaigned himself as. So all the words that he used, all the flowery language that he used and the promises, it was all for naught because he's he's become what he everything he says that he's against. And, you know, people need to realize that. So. Yeah, that that we had to start off the episode with that because that was obviously the most glaring uh, topic, um, and it, it is worth criticism because, quite frankly, I don't think it is getting criticized enough. Um, that was a disgusting display, a very sad moment for the country, and I hope we never see that again. That that was hopefully you know pe- pe- even the left has learned from that. I'm like, yeah, we cannot be doing stuff like that. That is just such a bad image for the country. Um, but to kind of to, to, to move on from this topic, um, there, there is another topic that um, not as grave as, as what we just discussed. So um, nice little palate cleanser from that. Um, we can kind of go back into a uh, we can kind of make some jokes and humorous observations here, which I much prefer doing. Um, I'm not sure if we want to call this a woke in the wild or not. It's, it's not really woke, I would say. It's just kind of more just like insanity. Um, you know, it's obviously has some overlap with, I guess, like leftist type of, of values. And uh, but like even that, it, it's more this is more of like a corporate type of thing. But what we've been seeing a, a lot on TikTok, if you if you if you are on the app or if you're on Twitter, is that there's like this new trend where these employees who work for tech companies, they are showing off all the flashy perks they have as an employee. So one that made the rounds was one employee who worked at uh, LinkedIn, she was just showing like a day in the life as a LinkedIn employee. And it was like her starting her day very late, um, you know, having time to do like yoga and get nice coffees and lattes in the morning. Then she gets into the office and then she hits up like the state of the arm, state uh, state of the art, uh, like cafeteria where she can get like these acai bowls and all this like really fancy food. So in this video, it's looking like she's probably doing like in her morning, she, she might be doing like two hours tops of work. <laughs> so it's, it's like not even until 10 a.m. before she actually gets to work. And then at 12 p.m., she has a, a lunch break where she has like all this like artisan food prepared for, for her and her fellow employees. And then after this lunch, then she goes like on a like a little like a walk to digest with her co-workers and they get more coffee. Um, so like all in all in this video, it's probably capturing about. I don't know, three, four hours of work tops. Then she leaves work early to get to do like, you know, pursue whatever she wants to do, like have a nice like dinner, um, a a sunset dinner on Lake Michigan with her friends. Um, So it's like this this crazy video. And you see more of this, like people kind of showing off like how great their lives are as being these employees of these tech companies. And I, I need to comment on that, SB, because I work in tech. I've never hidden that. And you look at the, if you're if you don't work in tech, you look at them like, all right, this is kind of like an extreme example. Can't really be like that. Or maybe this is just one one uh, situation. But no way would other tech companies be like that. But watching this, I, I had to chuckle to myself because, yes, obviously, LinkedIn, they are a multi-billion dollar company, highly, highly successful. You know, they are the number one you know professional network out there. So they have the the the. the the revenue and the, the you know the, the capital to afford all that so it's obviously to a much greater degree the perks they're getting but 
it's very similar to my experience working in tech. And I've worked for a variety of companies very, very early stage where capital was at a premium versus other ones that were more established that um, either were public or close to IPOing. So they did have a, a good amount of capital to, to afford stuff like this. But regardless of the stage, even for these very early startups that I've been at, they waste a ton of money on these these perks and the swag. So yeah, you have things like free daily catered lunch. You have things like unlimited PTO. You have things like free company swag, like hoodies, t-shirts, um, you know, these uh, like these stickers for your laptop. Um, you know, they, they get, they give away prizes all the time. Like I, I've been at companies where they give out free Peloton bikes. If you just like spin a wheel, <laughs> oh, um, no. they give away like these flashy uh, vacations to, to you and, and your partner. Um, they're, they're just like, you know, if you want to go out with your, with your team, these team outings, they'll give you a massive budget to go out to really nice restaurants and then have an unlimited bar tab at wherever you go. Um, it's like insane. And look, like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lie to you, like, as a beneficiary of these, of these perks, like, I, you know, I, I, I love it. It's, it's, it's really nice. It's, uh, I, you know, uh, if they're giving it out, I'll, I'll, I appreciate it. And I'll, I'll take advantage of it. But that doesn't dismiss the fact that I, that I still think it's wasteful spending. And, you know, there's an interesting stat out there, SB, 90% of tech startups fail. And that's a wild statistic to me. And I think, you know, just observing this, these companies are just wasting so much money. They're just spending it on useless crap. And they're not, you know, rather than taking that money and putting it into R&D to make a better product, maybe to understand their markets better and understand their competitors and try to find their niche in um, or hiring more people um, or paying their employees better. Um, they're spending it on this, you know, they're, they're, they're just burning cash. And I don't know what the strategy is because they get all this investment money from VCs, uh, angel investors, and they, they have to answer to them. You know, their CEOs have to answer them and, and show that they're growing, that they are each quarter they're expected to outperform the previous quarter by multitudes more. So there's a lot of pressure here. So I don't understand the incentive to do this. Um, it's, it, it's, it's pretty wild to me. And I, I think like my theory is for a couple of reasons, you know, they, they really want to, uh, you know, them, them doing these flashy perks. It's great PR for them. You know, you get the articles about it. Like you see the articles about companies that are adopting the four day work week. Um, so then it attracts more, more talent. Um, and, you know, maybe, you know, companies that um, they are trying to attract to do business with them, maybe they'll have a better feeling about them. So um, you, you see, you see uh, that that certainly might be a motivation. Um, so, you know, that 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 could be it. But then my second point is that, uh, you know, I really think that this kind of tech startup, you know, just the, the burning of money and like wasting on all this, this swag. I really think it points to this kind of this millennial culture of entitlement. Like I can't tell you how many times I've been in company town hall meetings where I've seen employees younger than myself um, or, or my age and they are complaining that the, the free snacks or the free lunch is, is not healthy enough. They don't have oh, enough. No. They don't. They don't have enough vegan options. Or they, they complain that there's not enough uh, kombucha or uh, or you know cold brew. Um, that they complain that 
you know, they, they only go to these types of restaurants for outings. Um, you know, it, it, like just very wild, wild, like complaints. Um, you know, actually, I remember one of them, we, one of my companies, they would bring in Chick-fil-A from time to time for, uh, uh, for, for like a Friday lunch. That was like a nice treat for us. And people were complaining that we, we were doing Chick-fil-A because they are a religious organization that donates to anti-LGBTQIA organizations. And like, it, it, I, I'm just like thinking to myself, like, imagine you're the CEO of a company and you have like a 23 year old complaining to you about like you're giving them so much, so many perks and they're complaining to you that's not good enough or they want more. It's just like a, it's such a culture of entitlement. Um, so it's it's just wild to me. I don't understand why companies do it. It just seems so wasteful to me when they could just be like a lot more efficient with their cash, whether they just like add that to their war chest. So they, you know, during times of crises, they have that war chest to fall back on. So they don't have to lay people off. Or like I said, they can pump that into more R and D or hiring more people and just making a better company. But these videos that you're seeing, like I'm living it. Uh, it's not an exaggeration. Uh, it's, it's, it's really wild, but um you know, look, like, I guess that's why I work in tech, because I, I like these, uh, these flashy perks, but uh, it, it, it's just insane, SB, like, I, I, it, 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 I, I don't know, like, if this is going to be, like, the, the new standard going forward, or if companies are going to start waking up and uh, maybe start trimming the fat. We'll see. So, TV, what's your TikTok handle? We, we need to get an update on you. We need to see your day every day. So. Oh, God. <laughs> Give the listen, give the listeners some of uh, the insight. But but no, I was so happy when I saw these because I immediately knew we had to talk about it on the pod because of your experience here. But yeah, you nailed all the points, and it's so funny because like I think the best moment from my perspective was when she was filming how she had just gotten some ridiculous breakfast of you know like some vegan breakfast with the soy latte with several different flavors. And then she goes, oh, I'm already late to a meeting. I got to run quick. So so you got a lot of food. You got this coffee that took five minutes to make. And you filmed yourself. And you thought that took precedence over getting to a meeting on time. And this speaks to the entitlement factor where these kids are seeing these jobs. I really think it's sort of like an extension of college now. And like we've been out of college for a while. So it would be curious to to kind of hear what, what the current perspective is of 18 year olds in, in college, but you get these people. And I think they just, they want to continue that college experience for three, five, seven plus years. I mean, one of the things that she was doing was that, you know, it, it was the going to a happy hour and then going to the park and having dinner with a bunch of coworkers and having um, a moving in party or something. It was like, this is like college stuff. This is like, if you're a college junior, you might do this. But do we need 30-year-olds doing this? No. Like, we need to be growing up as a country, having families, having, um, you know, passing on to the next generation. And if you want to go really broad with it, which is what we, what we talk about a lot in the pod, is that um, delaying families or maybe having people even not having families, that's how the state gets more power. Because ultimately, the strong family is the biggest detriment to the government taking more power. So, you know, that's a very broad takeaway from this. But but just in general, you talked about how, you know, companies might be cutting this fat. I think we're already seeing it because I, the, the, the day that this video dropped, I think that the news was out 
Snapchat was laying off 20% of their workers. Now, like we all know what Snapchat is. Do, do we think that Snapchat needs a substantial amount of workers to work? Not really. I mean, it's a very simple concept. You need data centers and maybe you need some people, um, some engineering folk and some marketing people. So the marketing people are selling ads and engineering is making sure the code's running. But do you really need tons of employees? Probably not. So you get a company like Snapchat cuts 20%. You know, I've seen plenty of examples, and I think you you've even been part of these TB in some some cases where immediately, like twenty five to fifty percent of the workforce is cut, and what happens to the company? It just keeps on rolling. So the question has to become: Why were they employed in the first place? If you could cut half of the staff and the company runs great, obviously your bar is going to go way up, and you're going to make a lot more money for your investors. And so the question obviously becomes like, why, why did it, why were they employed in the first place? So I think we're seeing a lot of this, uh, the, the millennial entitlement. I mean, if you guys haven't listened go to the AOC episode, um, the embodiment of the woke millennial, I think there are a lot of AOC types working these positions in tech. Um, and we're just seeing it come out. Um, it's funny. You also mentioned the Chick-fil-A story. I, um, I saw the Goldman Sachs, uh, analysts had done the same thing when, when Chick-fil-A was bought for the office. So, you know, it's, it is happening in tech, but I think, you know, finance people and, you know, in my space, they're getting pampered too. So we need to collectively as a society kind of agree that a lot of what we're seeing now, it's a luxury of some easy times. And we're going to look back on this and say, what the hell were we thinking giving these, you know, just snowflake jobs out to people and letting them, you know, film themselves instead of doing actual work. So yeah, TB, I'm, uh, I'm very happy with this story just because we could, uh, we could talk about it in the pod. <laughs> yeah. I like when I can uh, share more of my, my tech stories because there's so many angles where it, there's a lot of just like craziness that goes on there. So it, it's always funny to, to share that. So I enjoy those opportunities. <laughs> Well, uh, and, and now we're going to go back to negative town because, I mean, we don't, we don't know if we really want to say this, but NFL is coming up. And as you guys know, like TB, Yankee fan, I'm a Sox fan. That goes to football too. I'm a Patriots fan. You're a Giants fan and might not be looking good for either of our teams this year. So, so TB, how are you feeling about those Giants? Oh God, they they have become the Jets. The, the Jets are better than them now. Actually, uh, they've been horrible for I don't know since uh, I'm trying to think. Their last Super Bowl was an eleven. They've been really bad ever since then. Um, you know that as, at once Eli retired and Daniel Jones took over, that they've been so so bad. Um, they like Daniel Jones is not the guy. The day the day that we drafted him, I was very against the, the that pick and my friends all ragged me on it and like oh no Daniel Jones is you know, athletic you know he's a smart guy he played at Duke he understands the playbooks he's going to be great he's been awful he uh, he's a turnover machine and then i think what the biggest issue is that the giants are just horribly run um so uh mara is the owner i think he's made a lot of really questionable decisions the gms he's hired have been really bad um so Dave Gettleman, uh, he was, uh, up until this year, he was the GM for quite a while and just made horrible draft picks, um, which really, if you, if you destroy your, your draft, if, if you fail at that, 
your de- your entire depth on your team is crushed. And then he made some really questionable trades, um, really, really poor coaching decisions. Like it seemed like every year the Giants were rotating out a new uh, a coach, a failed coach for to replace them with a new one. So this season we have a brand new GM and a brand new uh, coach, uh, both of whom came from the Buffalo Bills, which look, if the Giants can become the Bills, I'll be very, very happy with that. The Bills are kind of like, you know, they haven't been able to get that monkey off their back yet and actually like push through and finally win the Super Bowl. But they have been, I would say, in the AFC, they are the kind of the gold standard up there with the Chiefs. They are just consistently great. They're winning 10-plus games a season, uh, and they are highly competitive, great quarterback. So I'm hoping that they kind of make the Giants in that mold. But as the team is constructed right now, there's there's still a lack of depth. There's you have a bad quarterback. Um, they don't really have the pieces. But their their big receiver that they poured a ton of money into in free agency, Kenny Galladay, he he might be a, a scratch because he has shown zero effort in route running. He's shown zero effort in, in pass blocking. He's just become very he cashed in has become very lazy, and that's the guy who we're looking at as our wide receiver one. So I don't I I won't blame. Brian Dable, I won't uh, the new coach, and I won't name uh, I won't blame Showen. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly. He's the, the GM for the Giants. I won't blame either of them because it's just their first year and they're they're working with what they got. But I'm expecting more of the same. The Giants will probably you know probably be another lottery pick again. Uh, so all I can hope for is that this season that we just see signs of improvement. So I'm looking for better coaching decisions. So you know Joe Judge was was terrible at that so i'm hoping just to see like just more strategy some more creativity and look i think this is a a make or break year for daniel jones like you know he they the giants didn't sign him to an extension so this is his last year to prove it if he fails and the giants are going to draft his replacement that's just the the matter of fact so uh i'm hoping for his sake as well as, as the giants sake that he does take that step that people believe that he can um so yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to be. I'm not expecting any playoff appearances. I don't think the Giants are going to be making any magical runs anytime soon. But um, I think it's going to be another season of pain. Uh, but look, I'm just happy to have football back. It is my favorite sport by far. I think, as like an American kind of phenomenon, it's you know, there's no other sport like it that gets people this fired up. Um, you know, it's 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 a short season. They they add an extra game, but still, there's only 17 games, and you compare that to any other sport. You know, you have sports like baseball that was 162 games, basketball 86 games or whatever, 82 games, um, hockey they're up there as well. But football, every every given Sunday, that's what they they say. Like every every single game counts, and I think that's what adds to the spectacle and drama because the the margin for error is so slim. So um, I'm really excited just to kind of see, you know, the, the, the top quarterbacks, you know, there's some shuffling around. You have Russell Wilson on the Broncos. Now you have Matt Ryan on the Colts. Um, there's some really interesting narratives. Like I actually think the Colts are going to be a very dangerous team this year. Um, so I, I, I there, I'm more excited about that and just an excuse on a Sunday to, you know, sit on my couch, eat bad food and, uh, maybe, maybe dabble in some gambling. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Briefly speaking of Ryan. Yeah, I think people are underestimating him this year because 
he's got a, a great receiver in Pittman. He's got a great running back in Taylor. And the Colts can upgrade from uh, Wentz. So, yeah, like he's he's like not even a fantasy factor, which I'm not sure I totally agree with, especially if you're playing a super flex league or something. But, yeah, so your your take on the Giants, I think, you know, I'm as a Pats fan, it, it's a very strange year because we don't really have any coaches with much experience coaching the offense. So you mentioned Joe Judge. Well, Joe Judge has now been brought in back to the Patriots. He was, I mean, I'm, I'm actually surprised. I'm very surprised that he was the guy that the Giants hired, because if you look at what Judge has done, he was a special teams guy for the Patriots from 2012 to 2019. And he had, he just added wide receivers coach in 2019. So that's usually not what you would want for a head coach. You usually want them to be, an offensive or defensive coordinator uh, prior, because then they can, they can game plan for that part of the job and they hire the other side of the ball. So he's now back on the Patriots this year as the offensive assistant slash quarterbacks coach. The guy's never coached quarterbacks in his life. So is that really the guy we want um, helping to coach Matt Jones? But it gets even better than that because uh, Belichick has also brought another failed coach back, Matt Patricia. So Matt Patricia he is now apparently the offensive line coach. The last time he coached offensive line was when he was an assistant offensive line coach in 2005 with the Patriots. So as we know, he was defensive coordinator in the Patriots for a while. He did have success there, of course. And then he was pretty bad as the head coach for the Lions. So these are the two guys being tasked to improve Mac Jones in year two, a crucial year for a, rook, for a, 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 a QB that they drafted highly, Josh McDaniels went for probably greener pastures with the Raiders, now has Derek Carr and Devontae Adams. And so you, you, you look at Belichick and you go, this is really make or break for him because if Belichick can actually pull this off where you've got a young QB but improving, you don't have a great offense probably in, in terms of passing, you have good running backs, but the offense passing isn't great. Maybe with Devontae Parker, if their second round draft pick does better with Jacoby Myers, like maybe there's some semblance of that with their tight ends. Um, and you could have the Patriots be decent offense, good defense, go 10 and 7-ish, whatever. That would be good. There's a possibility the Patriots are just downright terrible this year. That Belichick doesn't get the offense off the ground, neither did the two assistants. Mack takes a step back. The defense is, is fine but can't cover for the bad offense. And then the Patriots are playing the Bills in their division, which is one of the best teams in the league. And then they're also playing the Dolphins, who just signed Tyreek Hill. Uh, they've got Jalen Waddle. They've got Tua potentially improving. And so they could have a really good offense with a really good coach from the 49ers. That that was one of the best. I, 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 don't, I have to check the stats, but the 49ers did a lot of funky stuff last year with their offense, and they made it pretty far. So, like... All, all that said, I'm not that high in the Patriots this year. What I'm looking for is simply some improvement from Mac Jones. I'm not expecting them to make the playoffs or anything. But I do think there is there is that risk that it's just a terrible year. And I, I, ideally, you don't want to have that. You don't want your team to go 4-13 and 13 or something. And typically, a Belichick team wouldn't do that. But you look around and go, you know, maybe Josh McDaniel should have been around here because he, he's a great mind. Now, uh, you know, I could say all this and Belichick could come in and 
ha- really include himself in the offense for the first time in a while because McDaniels isn't there and maybe Matt Jones has an amazing year. And that's, of course, what I'm rooting for. That would be great. But it doesn't give you much confidence when a guy like Joe Judge, who you, uh, you know, you talked about was terrible for the Giants. You bring a guy like Patricia in and these guys are sort of not coaching what they've previously coached. And then you hear the stories out of training camp that the offense isn't looking that good. So, yeah, that's kind of like my Patriots rent here. Um, obviously, I'll be rooting for them to do well. Um, and I, I think like Devontae Parker, you know, he was he's always been done well against the Patriots. Maybe he's a good play, but uh, Bill and, and Bill Belichick drafting has just not been that great on the skill positions over the course of his career. So we'll uh, we'll have to see there. But yeah, to your point too, you know, the NFL being back is great. And, you know, one of the, the favorite storylines for me, I just love how you've got Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers. You know, Aaron Rodgers is one of the best to ever do it. You know, he has only won the one Super Bowl, but if you go by regular season, you know, he might be the best ever to play. He, and, you know, you watch him, it's beautiful. And then you've got Patrick Mahomes, which maybe he's going to be the best ever one day because he's put up just amazing stats in his first couple of years. Well, they both lost their star receivers, Tyreek Hill leaving for the Dolphins and then Devontae Adams going to the uh, the Raiders. How are Rodgers and Mahomes going to do? And I think that's going to be really interesting because now around the league, you're seeing that wide receivers are being paid so much more money than they were before. It's like an, it's like a, the, the market is now set where if you're a top receiver, you're making almost double what you were a couple years ago. What is that really worth it? Um, and if so, you know, we're going to see that because Mahomes and Rodgers are going to drop off significantly. Maybe it's not worth it. And maybe some of these teams like the Raiders and Dolphins who signed these guys to long term contracts, maybe that looks pretty bad going forward. Because if you're dedicating that much money to a receiver in the salary cap t- t- uh, team, you're not going to be doing that well. So so that's kind of my my thing is I'm really pumped about that. But yeah, of course. I mean, it, it's just so much fun to just be sitting back and, and watching all this come through. And and I think I, mean, I think we talked about this like when we started the pod Super Bowl last year. Like the the NFL does a really good job, I think, at understanding they are a TV product. So they're always working to make the game better for the TV. So yes, like you can go to a game and it's exciting to be at a game, but they know that's where the money is. They're they're getting paid. I think $10 billion annually starting this year, or next year with new contracts with all the broadcasters uh, showing their games. So they're, they're fully aware of that. And what they do every off season is they tweak the rules to make it a better game for the TV. Major league baseball is not doing that. Major league baseball is much more boring than the NFL. I hate to say it, but that's what it is. I love baseball. I played baseball. I didn't play football. Baseball is my first love. But I have to admit that sports are entertainment and they're, they're entertainment and the NFL does a much better job at being better entertainment than the MLB and, and the NBA too. The NBA could easily be tweaking rules and maybe getting rid of some corner threes. They could maybe make the lane bigger. Um, they could basically be doing things to have a, a better game than just a parade of threes and layups that it is now. It's not that interesting to watch. So yeah, football season's back. College football's back too for everyone that likes that. Um, if you have a good alma mater, um, which <laughs> we um, don't necessarily have right now, I think <laughs> TV is a little bit uh, TV is a little more optimistic and uh, has hope for our alma mater. But um, 
I'm a little more pessimistic and not really believing in them. Uh, I'm admittedly a Fairweather fan for our alma mater. I'll follow them if we're good one day. But um, yeah, TV as of now, we're not good. No. Uh, uh, I guess I'm a <laughs> sucker for punishment because I keep believing in them. But uh, it's going to be another long season for, for both college and our professional teams. But uh, look, I... I I did have some nice gambling wins, I will say. I'm three for three to start college football. So, hey, that that's going to be my entertainment. Uh, so if my if my actual team's going to lose, then I'd rather win some money in the process. So uh, that that'll take the sting a little bit away. So I, I can I can work with that. And and look, speaking about gambling, we started off the pod uh, our first episodes. I had a little gambling corner, um, mm. so I would share my picks and. Um, you know, didn't have the best track record back then, but it's okay. We were we were new to it. But this now that they were at the beginning of football season, uh, I will. I think uh, we should just make that a, a regular segment again. I'll be happy to share my picks um, again. Like I've said, I, I usually just bet on live unders, but um, so you know, I'm you know doing pre pre game predictions and picks. That's not really my forte. So if I'm wrong, uh, you know, don't crucify me for it. But um, if you are a gambler or, or interested, then I would uh, suggest waiting for those high-scoring games in the first half and maybe uh, jumping on a, a nice, uh, juicy over-under line and taking advantage of the under there. That's my that's my strategy, and it's been working well for me. So I, I you know, give it a shot. Um, no, it was, it was fun to do another sports corner SP. We haven't done one in a while, but it, it felt good to get back in there and. Uh, speaking about getting back in there, uh, you were back in the, uh, the Reddit trenches with the commies. So do you want to share, uh, your, your, your stories, uh, of war over there with the, with the fans? Yeah, I'll, I'll briefly cover this one. This was a fun one. So the, uh, the student loan debate, uh, the student loan crisis, we did our deep dive on that last episode. Uh, if you haven't tuned into that one, definitely do because, we, we really said we want a full episode to look at all the angles of the issue, and I thought we, we both did a really good job covering it. Now, in the Bill Simmons subreddit, which I do frequent um, often, I do like checking that. I will be on there during a work call, uh, during a meeting, um, and if I need some downtime. So I'm on there. No, I like commenting. I like mixing it up. And there was a Ringer podcast, which gets discussed in that subreddit, because that's Bill Simmons' website, about the student loan crisis. And so a big you know, a 200 plus person, uh, 200 plus comment uh, section broke out about this podcast. So basically, the the a lot of the argument in the discussion was that, and I'll quote this guy, not one single person has made a good case for why student loan repayment um, or debt debt uh, allowance, why this would hurt poor people at all. So of course, I have to chime in here because what we're doing is we're forgiving student loans, which is putting more money. It's, it's just more spending. It's the it's spending. It's like the Inflation Reduction Act, which is an oxymoron. It's spending to get less inflation. That's not how it works. And so I came out and said, look, like to finance the forgiveness of debt, the U.S. government, they're going to be selling treasury bonds to investors and possibly the Fed to finance that deficit. And we're already running a billion, uh, you know, a trillion dollar plus deficit. We're going to be running way more than that in the future. So if you run a deficit, that leads to an increase in the money supply. That's going to spread to the rest of the economy as inflation because you're going to have more money supply chasing the same amount of goods. And this is why, like, let's even leave student loans out of it. You know, 
McDonald's burgers used to be 10 cents. Now they're $5. So like, obviously something has changed. A McDonald's hamburger did not get that much more expensive. There's more money chasing the same amount of or fewer goods. And so things are going to cost differently. It's the same thing as why, you know, college tuition, you could you used to be able to mow lawns uh, on a summer and pay for a college tuition. You can't do that anymore. So I, I ended the, the, the comment with inflation hurts poor people the most. So this is actually a net negative for poor people, the student loan forgiveness, especially if they did not go to college. And we touched on that a lot in the last pod. So I, I keep going back and forth with, uh, with some of these people. And one of the people goes, you know, the idea that deficits lead to inflation has been disproven by the past decade. Huge deficits, little inflation until COVID messed up the economy, which to me was just like such a crazy comment because over the last year, we increased the money supply by 40% for all the COVID printing. And now we have extremely high inflation. So how can you actually look at results and say we have 9% official inflation? It's probably more like 15 to 20% if you're actually out shopping and keeping track of the things you buy. The response that I get from this person is that, that we have extremely high inflation now because of quote unquote mismatches coming out of the COVID area, including in housing and rents and then high energy prices due to the Ukraine war, which is accurate uh, because of that the money supply is not a factor. So like, to me, that's just totally insane. And why would housing and rents be negatively affected by um, the COVID era? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I respond back, you know, playing along. If the money supply is not a factor, why doesn't the US give $1 million to everyone, right? Because, you know, that would be the, if we can print anything without no consequences, we should do that. The person actually responds to me, says, sure, why not? The past four years have shown that fiscal and monetary policy was not aggressive enough from 2008 to 2018. We could have done much better. So I finish it up saying it's shown the exact opposite, giving away free money to people as consequences. Otherwise, we'd make everyone billionaires. And, and to finish up on this point before I toss it back to you, like what, what I can't believe is that so 2008 to 2018, that was extremely loose monetary policy. We printed a ton. Yeah, we didn't have high inflation, but there's a lot of reasons for why I didn't have high inflation. At least it's how it's measured. And what did we get out of 2008 to 2018? We got all of these tech companies, which we just talked about, that are employing people doing nothing. Like the reason we can employ people like that girl on LinkedIn doing nothing all day is because of easy money and because of VC funding and because we were we were valuing Snapchat at $100 a share and it's $10 and we were valuing Netflix is 700 and it's 200. We were valuing Upstart at 350 and now it's 20. Like, like so much of this stuff was caused by the easy money from 2008 to 2018, the same exact period that this guy is saying we didn't do enough. And so the ultimate question is, if you truly believe the government didn't do enough, you're essentially arguing for communism. You're essentially saying that the government should be the one creating the jobs and should spend as much money as possible. I don't know where they're getting it from because they're getting it from the taxpayer, but the government should spend as much money as possible employing everybody. That's been tried before. It's socialism. It's communism. It's why all of these communist states throughout history have failed. The economy breaks down. There's no price signal. The government can't employ everybody, and you end up getting nowhere in terms of societal growth and economic growth because you're – you're you're just you're you're you, what what happens is that 
you can't actually create anything new. You you keep what you have in the economy and then it ultimately falls apart. And we're seeing some of that today. So, you know, I, I get heated about this because these people, they actually know something's wrong, right? And I like I think that's what we have we have to understand. Someone like this person on like I don't know who this person is. Maybe there's some like 19-year-old socialist in college. But they're aware of, of that the country is not right. There's there's a stench in the country. Things aren't going the way it should be. But they believe that that's due to not enough government intervention. The real answer is it's due to too much government intervention. If we had less of it, we could let the free market reign. We could let capitalism do its job and have a great economy. Instead, we have this bizarre crony capitalism, debt-fueled capitalism, the government has its hands in everything. It's taking so much of our money in taxes, and we can't let the economy breathe, and it's faltering. So, you know, I, I don't know, TV. How do we get through to these people that aren't, that do understand there's an issue, but they're choosing the burning route over what me and you agree with, agree with, which is the free market capitalist let the economy um, run by smart and intelligent people building businesses do. Um, run like I, I just don't know how to solve that, and I think the person that solves that is probably the next president, or you know something crazier is going to be in the history books because that's like one of the core problems I think of this country right now. Yeah, that that Twitter thread, uh, not sorry, Reddit thread that you had with that individual that gave me a good laugh because that person is clearly out of touch and doesn't understand like basic economic principles um so but that that's the thing like they they don't get checked um they kind of live in their own echo chambers and that's what kind of you know just kind of breeds this type of just like out of touch short-sighted thinking like that person their their comment like oh why not give everyone uh, a, a million dollars or you know a, a bunch of money uh that reminded me so much of like the AOCs of the world or like even like people who are fresh out of college. I hear this from all the time, like cancel, cancel uh, student loans. Um, that's one of AOC's like uh, major like campaign hashtags and slogans. Um, and they just make these blanket statements like, oh yeah, it's so easy. Just cancel student debt. But they don't understand like all everything that that like, encapsulates like what what actually goes into that like can we actually financially afford to do that and, and if we do what are the ramifications of that it's like oh it's so simple let's just get rid of debt it just comes from people who they they react and they and their entire moral compass and and value system is based on emotions versus logic and we, we've spoken about so many different issues um in the world and in politics that kind of uh overlap with that with that principle but with this 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 is a, it, it's certainly true like that person they just think everyone deserves money but then they don't understand what it requires to take that okay you want to give all that people money well i hope you don't like money because the government's going to be taking half of your paycheck they already take a third of it so if you want which in my opinion i think that's that's also an absolute joke that they i i think it's criminal how much money the government takes from us but if you if if you want all these things, then we're going to become like a like like a Sweden. I think Sweden they take half of your your income in taxes, and 
I don't, I don't want that. Like, what's, what's my incentive to work when it's just half of it's getting taken and giving it, giving it to all these like welfare programs and stuff. Like, that's not what the, that's not what fair uh, market economics is about. That's not what capitalism is about. That's those principles did not make this country what, what it is. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to move in that direction, but I mean, I, I give you a lot of credit, SB, because you have a lot more patience to, to deal <laughs> with these Reddit commies. Like, I, I, I certainly wouldn't, but, uh, you know, you, you, you know, major kudos for at least trying to engage in the dialogue because I, I just I don't have the patience for, for that type of thinking. Um, <laughs> but, uh, no, I had to touch on that because I always love when you, uh, you know, you, you, you start to. Uh, mix it up with the uh, with with the folks. On, just gotta on. mix it up. And hey, I, I think you should start throwing down in the IGN forums. <laughs> I may be because <laughs> I haven't been there in a little bit actually since uh our the last episode I shared a story. But if I see anything, then yeah, maybe maybe I'll make my debut because that's and, been and, gold. <laughs> and if you need a a backup, uh, by all means, I'll I'll hop on IGN. <laughs> and be there right with you. <laughs> love it, love it. Uh. So yeah, well, uh, we're we're towards the end of our episode here, but we have one last segment to go through, and that's our always dependable rewokables. So uh, we've been covering this uh, this kind of story a lot lately about the uh, the rise and fall of CNN, and now under new um, new ownership, um, they are making some massive moves. And the most recent one was our favorite friend Brian Stelter, uh, Mister Potato Head, who is. Uh, off to greener pastures um so uh adios to him but now we have another uh casualty uh or curbing of the fat in the cnn shakeup so john harwood who has has you know he really made a name for himself for becoming incredibly partisan and just a mouthpiece for the democrat party he too has been fired from cnn so SB, I, I i might i might call myself a cnn fan if they continue this like i love every move they're making Oh, it's incredible. And so for my job, like I cover CNN closely because I'm, I'm looking at the, the Warner Bros. Discovery company in general very closely for um, to, to see if they're a good investment or not. And so I read some of these like inside uh, trade publications and people are freaking out about what's happening. And so they just cannot believe that CNN might not be able to be a far left network uh, for for much longer. I also heard um, one reporter was claiming that Stelter has moved to a farm in New Jersey. So, you know, we'll see if he even gets internet there to be able to continue his newsletter and whatnot. But yeah, apparently the guy's totally fled um, in embarrassment, likely because the the show is just a, a disaster. And and with Stelter too, what's also funny is that you know, see, and I think this is like a broader point where. Apparently, at least the reason that they gave to Stelter was that CNN did not feel like they needed an hour long or or whatever his show was. They didn't feel like they needed a show about the media. And I actually think that makes sense because think about it. If you're doing a show about um, cable news media, which is what his show was, you know, TV, like me and you talk about cable news media a lot. Like we'll reference a Fox News story, we'll reference a CNN story. If you're doing a show about about cable news uh, media, but you cannot mention CNN in the media, as Stelter did not, which is not covering Chris Cuomo, for example, if you can't do that, what is the point of the show? 
because you're you're basically saying 50% of what you could cover is off limits. So I think if that if that was the actual reason for the show being canned, in addition to you know it was a it was just it was getting out there that they're firing this guy. Um, I think that was smart. Um, the and then the other the other thing I heard was that Stelter had consistently been trying to get a meeting with the new CNN boss, and he kept getting denied. <laughs> so, so like this this looks like this is a premeditated thing. They knew they were going to fire this guy for weeks uh, to make a point about what they were doing. And obviously, we will believe it when we see it. But this is a positive sign so far. And hopefully, there's more to come. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I love the moves that they're making. Like, it was long needed. And, you know, I, I'm not like, I, I'm not against it's, it's other media sources. Like, I've actually been. You know, we talk about Fox a lot because I get they overlap most closely with our views. But I've been highly critical of Fox too. Like, I, there's a lot of complaints I have with them. That's actually been one of my biggest complaints with cable media. Um, and I think CNN, they've just been the the worst offenders in recent memories because you know MSNBC, they're you know they're at, it's at least very well, widely accepted that they are a you know a very leftist. Um, biased type of of news network but cnn they put on the facade of being objective they you know they have commentators who are serving news anchor roles like chris cuomo and uh don uh, lemon they are pretending to be objective news anchors when it's so obvious how partisan they are they don lemon is he's like their version of of tucker carlson like can you imagine if tucker carlson was pretending to be just like a brett bear type just a normal (laughs) normal news uh, commentator so like that's my complaint. Like, it's fine to have commentators, like, go for it. But it's when you pretend that you're stating facts, that's when you become misleading. And that's when you are failing your your responsibility as a journalist. So CNN had really, you know, fell off the tracks there. So, you know, these moves are very much needed. And, and I'd be interested to see who the, the replacement talent is. Hopefully, they are people who will uphold that integrity and be more neutral. And look, I, I'd be willing to, to start watching CNN again if if they uphold that. But if it's going to be more of the same, then I'll, I'll tune them out as I, as I have been. But we have one last rewokable for you. And I got to say, SB, I'm really disappointed <laughs> in this because you and I both uh, liked Sam Harris like in, in the past. Like, even though we weren't fans of his, like or or not not. I did not, used not, to be a big fan of his, honestly. Yeah, yeah. I, I need to correct that. Not, I I didn't I didn't mean it like that, but more so like not that not that we necessarily agreed with everything he said. You know, like there, but we at least like we liked him because we said, okay, here's a guy who is a left of center guy who you know we would you know traditionally disagree with on a lot, but he's very reasonable and we could and logical and we could understand his motivations for his thinking. So we said, yeah, you know, even though if we don't agree with what he's a majority of what he's saying or, you know, or, or some of it, we can at least understand there's some logic there. And then what we also appreciate about him was like, look, like here's a traditional liberal that, you know, we actually agree with a lot on some things. So that it was like very refreshing. Like, okay, like us as conservative people, we find commonality with someone who would, we would describe as a liberal. So Sam Harris, like we, we, we liked him. And then, you know, recently he has just really suffered from Trump derangement syndrome. Like he he has made so many concessions about, you know, 
breaking of laws and morality to to take down someone he views as his political opponent. And then, you know, you know, very recently he said that Trump is worse than Osama bin Laden. <laughs> like, like, I get it. Like, Trump is a polarizing guy. You either love him or hate him. There's no in between. Um, so if you hate him, you really hate him. So I, 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 under, I understand him not liking the guy. But to say he's worse than someone who concocted the worst, you know, tragedy in American history on American soil to say to say that he is he, Trump is worse than, than a terrorist like that. I, I, that that's just outrageous like that that is unforgivable in my opinion and i don't know what's happened to sam harris but he keeps doubling down he keeps digging that hole deeper and i don't know if there's a way out for him anymore i think he just kind of has to own this this new like persona he's taken on sb yeah it's it's truly bizarre because then he doubles down on the Laden comments so, so he made the comments and then he says that well people um shouldn't take the comments out of context but yet then he gives additional context and he, yeah, he doubles and triples down. And you know, I guess his argument is apparently that bin Laden was acting in the Islamic worldview, but the, and this is a quote from him was by all accounts personally quite courageous. So, you know, he's got such a bad case of Trump derangement syndrome. He's now calling Osama bin Laden courageous Um he was committed to ideals beyond his narrow self-interest. So, again, like this is the, this is the kind of stuff that you're only going to be saying if you really are just out of it. And then, of course, you know, he calls Trump selfish, like a perpetual liar. He's a child in a man's body, like all that stuff, whatever. But you can't actually defend bin Laden and then expect people to take anything you say seriously. So... You know, we joked that his his basically like his career was over when he said this. I think that's happened to a lot of people. And we're not saying that his career actually is over. But what what we are saying is that previously people that were fans of his, they have to now contend with this new thought from him that, hmm, maybe he isn't the guy that I thought he was, because clearly I don't agree with his Osama bin Laden views. And yeah, I don't like Trump either, but I'm certainly not on board with calling Osama bin Laden better than Trump. So I think that's what's going to happen. Maybe he'll lose some business out of it, and maybe you know, maybe maybe we'll see a, a turn of, of of page for him. But ultimately, for now, you know, if he keeps wants to dig in dig in his career grave like this, I'm fine with it. I'm long past being a, been a fan of the guy. I used to be a big fan. I'm not now. But um, yeah, it's it's just uh. You see stuff like this and you go, yeah, like I think, you know, if and I, I don't have any doubt myself, but if you think if you had any doubt, if you're on the right side of things, yeah, you probably want to be on the side that's not saying Osama bin Laden's better than your political opponent. Yeah, I, I think like that was one of the refreshing things about the intellectual dark web that he was a, a member of, um, or, or maybe he still purports, purports to be part of, but like these guys would come from all different sides of the political spectrum, but what was admirable about them is that they were all consistent. Um, they, they, you know, you, you knew where they stood and they, they would apply their standards fairly across the aisle. Um, but it, it's, it's in bad faith where Sam Harris can still claim to be part of this, you know, intellectual dark web when he clearly has 
for, forgotten and, and given up his ability to be consistent. Like to say that, oh, we're going to, I'm okay with a store with a, the Joe Biden or a Hunter Biden laptop story to get covered up because it, it was conducive to getting uh, Joe Biden in the presidency. Like that, that you're, 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 you're kind of just dropping all of your moral high ground. You're, you're, any like value system that you have or you know, the, the logical consistency that he claimed to have is that's all gone when he says that. So he, he really has, his appeal has really lost its shine. And, I don't know if you, in my opinion, I don't know if he can recover from that because, you know, he, he's given up what made him so attractive to people across both party lines. And, you know, I guess he'll just become a, a leftist, you know, speaker. And, you know, there's there's certainly money to be made in that. But I think for people like you and me who do like conversing with people across the aisle and we, we don't like living in an echo chamber and we try to better ourselves and, uh, you know, try to have dialogues, um, you know, we're going to be turned off by people like Sam Harris because they are, you know, contrary to where we think that the country, you know, sh- should be headed and how people should be conversing and, and thinking. So, yeah, I, I, I don't like that he's doubling down. And it, it's just disappointing to me um, to, to see him kind of go in this direction. But um, unless you have anything else, I, you know, I, we've kind of covered everything that we had on, on our agenda for today. But um you know, we, uh, you know, it was, this was another great conversation. Uh, you know, we, we talked a lot about a lot of really important things. And if you haven't listened yet, uh, strongly encourage you to listen to our second societal deep dive where we went through the stu- student loan debt crisis. Um, we touched on that a little bit in today's episode, um, obviously, but uh, we really kind of explored all the factors that led to the crisis um, that we see today and why we believe that uh, the Biden administration's response to that is is the wrong solution. Um, so it you know it's it's not meant to be kind of a partisan type of episode. We really tried to be analytical uh, and objective when we went through this. So um, you know certainly encourage you to give it a listen. And if you have any thoughts on the student uh, debt crisis, feel free to tweet at us or DM us. We're open to any feedback or you know other alternatives, and we'd be happy to discuss it on the show. But um, yes, yeah, this was a, this was another great one. Yeah, this was, this was fun. We had the previous one, the, the deep dive, it was fun, bounced around to the topics and yeah, you know, as, as people are listening to this, the sports corner, will we'll have a preview of what's actually going on in the game. So that'll be fun to start following the, uh, the NFL and college football again, as the season rolls on. So yeah, I thought this was another great one and, um, yeah, hoping all the listeners feel the same. And, you know, as we always say, Give pop us that five star review, leave a review uh, saying you're enjoying it. And, you know, be before next time, we're just hoping. Well, you know, it, it's funny. We can hope for more woke to roll in because then we have a podcast. But if the world suddenly stopped being woke, then, you know, we'd be out of a podcast, but it would be great. But TV, <laughs> I don't think the woke is slowing down anytime at all. And I'm sure we're going to be back very shortly with more wokeness to get to. Yes. Well, they're going to keep keeping us in business. So it's a catch 22, but, uh, <laughs> well, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, be- we'll, if they're going to let us benefit from it, then, uh, at least that's a silver lining we can take from all of this, this insanity. Exactly. We, we might as well benefit somehow. So yeah, with that, unless again, anything else, let's, uh, hope everyone is enjoying this, uh, long weekend as we're recording on it and we will uh, have an ep- another episode out to you guys shortly. So long folks.